Welcome to the SYA podcast, giving you teachings from the young adult ministry of Shepherd Church, where it's our mission to lift up Christ that the world might believe. We have different gatherings throughout the month. For more info, go to wearesya.com and follow us on Instagram at wearesya. Oh my goodness, that was good, right? It is good, it is good to worship the Lord. If, uh, if we've never met, um, or if you weren't here last week, my name's Dusty, and your name is? That is correct. Whatever, whatever name you said, I hope, is, is correct. Well, I'm glad you're here at church. Here's, uh, here's my prayer for, for you and for me tonight. It's from Psalm chapter 119, verse 18. David prays, Lord, and he prays it individually. I'm gonna pray it um, for us as a community. Lord, open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things in your word. And so that's my prayer uh, for us tonight. So Lord, may it be so. We're in part two of our series, Kingdom of God. We're going through these two New Testament books. They're actually letters. It's called First and Second Thessalonians. And today, we're looking at kingdom courage. Uh, when my oldest son, who just turned 18, I'm, I'm saying that to make sure I truly believe it, it's, it's stupid, but um, when he was like three or four, I w- was telling him one night the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter three. I was telling him that story for bed, for you know, one of the bedtime stories, and I said, Asher, these, these guys had courage. And little Asher looked to me and asked, Dad, what is curlage, all right? And, you know, sometimes as a parent, you have the right words at just the right time. And I said, well, Ash, curlage is when you do the right thing even when you are afraid. And, you know, I high-fived myself and said, that's pretty good. And uh, and that that was our definition of curlage. And so... The Apostle Paul, who, who wrote these two letters that we're looking at, who wrote First and Second Thessalonians, he wrote this to the church that he helped like start in the, in the big, diverse Greek city of Thessalonica. And it's one of the oldest New Testament books, and therefore it's one of the earliest pictures of the, the New Testament or, or the very first Christian church. And it was only written... 20 years after Jesus had lived and died and resurrected from the dead and gone back into heaven. It's not a complicated letter or or Bible book. It's not full of like deep theology. And the word theology is just this word that we kind of took from Latin and it just means the study of the things of God. This isn't like deep, deep theology. As a matter of fact, it's been said that if you want to know Paul's theology, read the letter to the Romans, the book of Romans. But if you want to know his heart, read First and Second Thessalonians. So Paul starts this church with some other people, and eventually he was run out of town, which happened to him often. But the church there that, that stayed after Paul was run out, that church quickly became known as a faith model to the entire Roman world. And later, Paul gets a report about the church from Timothy, a lot of good news, but there's also some report where people were questioning Paul's sincerity. 
They were questioning whether or not his motives were good, why he hadn't come back. Like, you know, you start this church, you leave when things get hard, and why hasn't Paul come back? And so 1 Thessalonians is Paul's response to some of these questions. And he also gives some kingdom instruction as well. Now, chapter one is, um, generally speaking, a snapshot of kingdom life. Paul celebrates how these, um, many of them Greeks, some of them Jews, how, how they had turned from idols to serve the living and true God. That's chapter one. Chapter two, Paul begins to unpack some truths around kingdom courage. Because to live a kingdom life it takes kingdom courage. So if you've got your outline out of your, uh, out of your handout, if you've got something to write with, um, we've got four details about this kingdom courage straight from 1 Thessalonians chapter two. Here's point number one. It takes kingdom courage to please God rather than people. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, the first two verses say, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you the gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul says, we, we with the help of God, we dared to tell you the gospel. In, in the original language where the, Paul wrote this, that, that phrase, dared to tell you, it's one Greek word. It's one Greek word that literally means to boldly speak. And it has to do with, with confidence in both spirit and demeanor. And so it's this idea of courage. And courage isn't doing the difficult or right thing without any fear. Courage is doing the difficult or right thing anyway, in spite of our fear. And Paul continues in verse three, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, right? He's heard the, the report. Nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our Hearts, you know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We are not looking for praise from people, not from you or anybody else. He says we're not looking for praise. This is an expression, if we can assume that Paul's being honest about this, this is an expression of self-awareness. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, verse three, he says, don't think yourself higher than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. Jesus in Luke chapter six, verse 26 says, beware, be on guard when people, when all people praise you. That's how people of old would speak of false prophets and spectacular liars. The, the danger is not in being praised, right? If someone praises you, like if you're praised, because Paul was certainly praised, he's just saying it's not what we were seeking. But the danger isn't in being praised, the danger is in how you and I might hear the praise. Like we might magnify it beyond the person's words. Or even worse, we might begin to morph into a bloated interpretation of their praise. So a good question is, 
Is your perception of me or my perception of me true? Which one's true? Well, the answer is both, a little bit, right? Somewhere in between. But the key is to, is to focus on what we can control. The sober judgment. That's the part I can control. And Paul says, we're not looking for your praise. Verse four is the key. He says, we're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. And we know this, God, only God knows a person's heart and thoughts. And Paul's saying here, it's okay to question us, but our integrity, our calling, our focus is genuine. It's tested by God. God's the only one we're trying to please. Confident courage takes self-awareness. It takes a sober judgment, but that needs to be mixed with wisdom. I'll tell you a story. I was ordained as a pastor in 1998. I was 22 years old, which, which is just, I don't know what to say about that. But a couple of years later, I, I have a picture here. I had long hair. This was a couple of years after I was a pastor. <laughs> um, I had loop earrings, which you can't really see. But I, I also show you this picture because it's a good opportunity to be humiliated and, and we can make fun of this together. And also, this is in the Ozarks. If you've watched that show, this is like, I grew up just, you know, an hour from there. Um, and I'm not, I, I wasn't really a redneck, especially at this time because my hair covered the back of my neck. I couldn't get sunburned. <laughs> Dad joke, okay. So during this period, uh, at the church that I worked at, there were some elders' wives who were upset about my earrings. I do not understand why they weren't upset about the hair, but when I found out, I just, I just took my earrings out, and I haven't put earrings back in. Not because I was convicted by it, because I don't think God really cares. You might, I don't think God does, but it just wasn't a big deal. It was, it was earrings, Right? And at one point when Asher was a little baby and he grabbed a hold of that hair and pulled me down, I went and got a haircut, right? And now I can't grow that kind of hair anyway. Okay, that picture, get that out of here, get it off. But we, we all experience criticism at some point, especially if you're a leader. And if you never have pushback or if like, if everyone around you thinks exactly like you, check yourself that you're not in a cult. <laughs> you know, constant criticism is not good, right? You don't want to be around constant criticism, but a healthy dose is good. And it's not courageous to stand for or post about what your crowd already agrees with, like in an echo chamber of, woo, you're amazing. That doesn't take courage. If there's no level of fear, it's probably not courageous. So you and I need to dig deeper. We've got to examine our motives. Am I aiming to please God or other people or just my ego? Pray Psalm chapter 139. Search me, God. Know and reveal my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, an offensive way to God, and lead me in the way evermore. But when it comes to your character and your obedience to Jesus, if you live a kingdom life with kingdom courage, you're going to be tested. You will be criticized and opposed. So stay the course. Grow. Continue to grow in self-awareness, in wisdom. Like, don't die on every hill, right, of every, every pushback. Be courageous. Aim 
to please God. It takes courage to please God over pleasing people. Second point, it takes kingdom courage to be gentle when you could be heavy-handed. 1 Thessalonians chapter two, the second part of verse six, Paul writes, as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Now, this is great because Paul was not known as a gentle person. If you're familiar with the New Testament, you know that Paul was actually very blunt, very confrontational. He would say what he thought was needed, whether you wanted to hear it or not. But here we get a different like picture. Or maybe it's just a different side of, of Paul. Even though he was a leader, he was a founder at this church. Even though his integrity and intentions are questioned some, and even though he had the authority and the right, he's gentle and he's loving. And you and I, we should still speak the truth. But as Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 says, we should speak the truth in love. When Jesus was on the cross and insults were thrown at him, he prayed forgiveness over those very people hurling the insults. And you, we know this, that in our day, we are incentivized to own people, right? Like especially online, like to troll them and belittle those who are on the opposite side of an argument or an issue that, that we believe in. But, but please hear me on this. And I hope this comes from a gentle heart. God examined my heart here. But what we need is not more informed Christians, or let me rephrase that. What we need most is not more informed Christians armed with arguments. What we need most is gentle followers of Jesus who indeed stand on the truth, but in love. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, in your heart, acknowledge Jesus as Lord. That's an important uh, part of what he's gonna say next. It's almost like a preparation. Before he says, be prepared for this, it's, it's like, you know, keep in mind, acknowledge, keep up here who's up here. Jesus is Lord, I'm not. And then he says, always be prepared to give an answer to all those who ask you to give the reason for the hope you have in Christ. It's a good verse, but there's more to it. And the last part is, but do this with gentleness and respect. Like many of you, I care deeply about so many of the issues going on in, in our world, but specifically our nation right now. The biological truth of what constitutes male and female. The fate of the unborn. Racial injustices. How some Christians prioritize 
political party over the way of Jesus, and so many more. Being informed and standing for truth matters. But how you do that matters more. Jesus said in John chapter 13, the world will know that you belong to me by how you love. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, let your gentleness be evident to all who agree with you. No, it doesn't say that. Your gentleness should be evident to everybody. It takes courage to be gentle when you could be heavy-handed. Point number three. It takes courage, kingdom courage, to lead by your example. Verses 10 through 12, it says, you are witnesses and so is God of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I don't think Paul is defensive here because he's pointing back to like when he was there. Like he's, and he's pointing that to people who were also there. So he's able to say like, you remember how we were. You're asking questions, you're questioning things, that's okay. But I just wanna point back to when we were there and how we lived. And he's pointing back to his own behavior, his own conduct, because that's what he can assess best. That's why character, your character, mine, is everything. Because my character is the only thing that I can really control in all of life. Like my choices, my attitude, my words, my responses, my social media comments. I can't control yours, just just mine. But obviously, our character can be an example to others. My life is all I can control, my choices, my character. But that hopefully can be an example to other people as well. And you know, when I think about my boys, my my sons, Asher and Silas, I hope that the ledger of my positive example is overwhelmingly more than the negative. But there's some negative. I'll tell you about one. Um, About six years ago, uh, they were seven and 12. They were with me at The Habit, the restaurant. We were getting food. And I was walking with Silas's little kid, uh, Sprite, right? And uh, I, I don't know if I didn't have the, the lid on yet or what was going on. It was busy. And th- this man bumped into me and it like spilled the, you know, Sprite on me. Just it was an accident, no big deal. But I noticed he never turned around. He never said anything. And my pride, you know, silliness. And I say out loud, kind of too loud, hey, no problem, it's okay, as I'm, you know, with the Sprite. <laughs> it's okay, man. And then he turns around, I'm like, hey, it's okay. It's your world, I'm just living in it. And he looks at me and sees, and he goes, oh, dude, I'm so sorry. I didn't even, I didn't even realize what happened. And then I immediately am convicted, not just because, like, he disarms, you know, my silliness, but I just immediately look down to Asher and Silas, and they're, you know, wide-eyed, looking, and I apologize to this guy, 
And I refill the Sprite and clean myself up and take the boys outside while we wait for the food. And I apologize to both of them. And they're, they're, <laughs> I started to say they're used to this. Hopefully not so much to the apologies, though they've had those. But to me, explaining things, right? Like giving them a teachable moment. I said, boys, I'm so sorry for the way I acted in there. And uh, let me tell you what a better way of responding to something really, really small would have been, right? Our character, our choices, they can be an example, good or bad, to others. I've tried to work hard, I hope you have too, to build a solid, consistent life of character and lead by example. I had a a younger ministry leader say to me some years ago, someone I've invested into, they said something like, you know, I can handle when I hear about leaders that I don't know, you know, falling into major hypocrisy or sin. But this person said to me, but I think if you ever did, that would break me. And someone else who was there, they asked me later if I thought that was fair, that he or she said that. Like, what, is that too heavy? Is that like, you know, like the idea that someone looks at you like that, is that too much? And my answer was no. Because if the only reason I'm living well is to be a good example to others, then I've missed it. I've missed the bigger purpose. If the only reason I'm living well is because you're watching, then I'm going to obsess about how others see me. And then I'm going to succumb to like signaling my virtue versus submitting my virtue under the lordship of Jesus. And character is all I've got. It's all I can control, right? My character. But I strive to live well. And I hope you do too. I do because I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe he's got mad love for me. And therefore, I trust and obey him. But it gives me great joy, if, especially if some younger leaders in my life look to me as an example. It gives me great joy if, if my wife, who's a, like a pastor in my life, if she or my boys look to me, and if all of them, friends, Family, if they hold me to a higher standard, a Jesus standard, well, I'm okay with that because that's the only standard that I really wanna live within because it's the only one that really matters. It takes courage to live and lead by example. Just check that you're ultimately doing that to please God, not others. What are we on, four? Do we already do three? My goodness, that's funny when I'm, okay. I don't wanna get sidetracked by how, how fast. Some of you are like, dude, the sermon has not gone by fast, okay? We're, we're dying here, man. Hopefully that's not true. Okay, number four. Um, it takes kingdom courage to stand firm against Satan's schemes. The end of chapter two, two the rest of chapter two, 1 Thessalonians, is verses 13 through 20. And I wanna encourage you to read it before the week is over. But what I want to do with our time left is I want to show you three verses. The first two are these. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Paul writes, brothers and sisters, when we were separated from you for a short time, separated in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. 
For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Listen, I'm not a battle expert. I'm not, a, I mean, I don't really have any like expertise at all in battle. But if I did, I would want to know as much about my enemy, the reality of my enemy as possible. I wouldn't want to know hype. I wouldn't want anything to be downplayed. I wouldn't want it to be fear-mongering. And I say that because while some religious people talk a lot, in, just, in, just in my opinion, okay, which is, I don't know, it's only worth something probably to me, right? But in my opinion, there's a lot of folks who talk a lot about the origins and powers of Satan. It almost feels sometimes like some people, like they talk more about all of that and spiritual warfare than like the power of Jesus. But scripture actually says very little by way of detail when it comes to all that. But here's what's clear in scripture, that Satan is a very real, like literal, real enemy of God, an enemy of God's people, us, but, but certainly he doesn't have the same powers of God. Only God is omnipresent. Only God is all-knowing. Satan isn't everywhere at the same time. He doesn't know every, every thought that I have. That's only God. I think that's true. However, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, be careful. Then he says, watch out. For the attacks from the devil, your great enemy, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for a victim to devour. Look, I have no desire to change anybody's theology about Satan. That sounds like an unbelievably weird conversation <laughs> to try to change someone's opinion about whatever. But here's what I would caution if you and I view every single difficulty and trial as, an, a, as a demonic, satanic attack, then I think that we'll be tempted to transfer our personal responsibility of our choices all onto Satan. And I think that's, that's no good. That's not biblical. Now, Matthew chapter four in Jesus's temptations uh, for actually, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we'll see next week, it calls Satan the tempter. So indeed, he tempts. But make sure to supplement that with what Jesus' little brother James writes in James chapter 1, verse 13. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and are enticed. Satan may indeed, like, tempt, Right? And like, like uh, put the opportunity there. But you and I make the choice. So with these thoughts, plus Paul's words that we read in verse 18, here's the truth. Satan always goes against God's kingdom plans. He's always against that. He is God's enemy. He is our enemy. And we are beckoned in Ephesians chapter six, verse 11, to put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can stand, take your stand against the devil's schemes. He goes on with the belt of truth, the breast, breast 
breastplate of righteousness, shoes to share the gospel, the shield of faith. Why? To extinguish the flaming arrows of Satan, the helmet of salvation. And finally, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes of only one offensive weapon in the kingdom of God. You remember? He says, and the sword of the Spirit is what? It's the Word of God. It's the Scriptures. This is our one major weapon in our spiritual fight. And this brings me to the last verse I want to show you in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It's verse 13, so we're backing up just a little bit. He writes, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you, in us who believe. God's word is the sword arming you and I to fight our spiritual battles. Paul says it's God's word that's at work in us who believe. Here's a picture of how. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, it says the word of God is living. It's alive and it's powerful. It cuts all the way into us judging our thoughts and our feelings in our hearts. And 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all scripture is God-breathed, right? You remember in Genesis, at the very beginning, God formed mankind out of the dirt, shaped us together, and then breathed life into our nostrils. It says all scripture is God-breathed, useful for teaching, for showing people what is wrong in their lives, for correcting faults, and for teaching how to live Godly. The Bible depicts how human life actually works, right? It's interesting to me sometimes with some friends of mine that don't know the Lord, they're like, yeah, but the, I mean, the Bible's kind of ancient and barbaric. Yeah, because it's ancient and, and it was barbaric, right? Like, but it shows us how life actually works and I believe is divinely inspired, with the goal of moving people closer to God. I want you to look at the, there's gonna be a hand on the screen and on your hand out. And, and think of it as getting, getting a Bible in your hand. Pastor Dudley this weekend said some of us might need a Bible in each hand, right? But we need a Bible in our hand because we need it in our heart, in our life, in our mind. So you see the thumb, this is just a way of thinking about how to get the word of God into your heart, into your life. You need to read it, right? There's the Bible app. It's a great, it's a great place to start. Most of us have smartphones, right? The Bible app. There's, there's great reading plans. You can listen, right? There's like, uh, I'll do that often on walks. I like, uh, I like the author, the, the, the reader of the NIV, on the Bible app. I, I just like his voice. It sounds good. Listen, even if, listen to me. Even if you just read the Bible one minute a day, if you're reading zero right now, one minute a day, like one minute in your drive, right? Uh, hit play, listen, listen for a minute or however long the drive is. But I've been telling like teenagers this for decades now at this point. Uh, yeah, I don't I, just, I never read the Bible. I don't ever read. Listen, listen. Can you do one minute a day? Oh my gosh. 
I feel so shallow. One minute, hold on. How many a day are you reading right now? Zero. Right. One minute a day, right? And you may be well beyond that, but the key is just starting. And if you're not sure where to start, maybe you're new to this whole like Christian life. Here's just, here's just Dusty's suggestion on, on a couple places you can start. The Gospel of Mark. If you don't know how to find place, things in the Bible, you find the table of contents at the beginning. I was a brand new Christian when I went to Bible college, and the way I got through Old Testament history, table of contents, right? Everybody knew where to go, table of contents for me, right? Uh, the gospel of Mark, it's the shortest gospel. Gospels are the, the good news of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus. Or the gospel of John or the letter of James. It's Jesus' little brother. Like he literally had the same mom as Jesus. Like he grew up with Jesus. Like I want to know what he says. And then, or here's another one, Colossians. Okay, thumb, start reading it. Just, just even if it's a minute a day, just start somewhere. And then the index finger is studying. Um, I, have a, I have a picture here of a cross-reference um, Bible. If you, just, if you just like, you know, go on Amazon or wherever and type in uh, either study Bible or cross-reference Bible, I like these that have the, the cross-reference in the middle, right? You, you think of that cross-reference like it's in the middle and then there's the text over here. And so it's kind of hard to see. I know it's, I know it's uh, you know, it, it's the Bible, so it's small print, but there's little, you can see like little letters next to certain words, and so if you follow whatever that letter is to the middle, so whatever the verse is, if it's like verse you know, two and it has the letter B, you go over in the middle, you find verse two, so it's chapter one, verse two, you find B, and it gives you cross-reference. Like someone has said once that the Bible is its own best commentary. This is, if you're not like, if you're not into like reading commentaries yet or anything, you know, crazy nerdy like that or whatever, you're just like, man, I just need to read the Bible. And then you're reading the Bible and then you're like, okay, I need to study. Start with something like this. Looking at what else the Bible says about that topic that you're reading. If you're like, I don't know what topics I want to read about in the Bible. I don't know where to start. Another place at the very back. What, what is that called at the very end? Tape, maybe that's the table of contents. I can't remember. What's it called? Concordance. Thank you. Go to the concordance. There's like all these topics. Find a topic that you're interested in. Look up every verse about that topic. Study the Bible. And then the, the middle there is Memorization. Psalm chapter 119, verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart. I've memorized it. Why? So that I might not sin against you, God. And then the, and, and, and as far as memorizing, like I, we can make that really complicated, but you, here's one way of memorizing. You just find a verse that you like, that you've highlighted on your phone, that you've highlighted in your Bible, and you just read it over and over, and then you close your eyes and you try to say it. Then you look again, oh, okay, I messed that up. And then, and then get a note card or get a piece of paper and just begin to write it out. And the goal is not so that you can be like wicked smart in front of all your friends or whatever, be quoting scripture while you're praying. Or, that's great, that's fine. The goal is to have it in your heart. Why? So that I might not sin against God. And then the ring finger, meditation. The Hebrew word for meditate is, is to utter, or I like this, or to roar. It's used at times of animals with a, a low growl. It also means to imagine. So as you think about it, you ponder God's truth, you're reading it, you're studying it, you're memorizing it, you think about it. You can write this verse down if you want, look it up later, Joshua chapter one, verse eight. 
It says, keep God's word always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so you can be careful to obey it. And finally, the pinky is application. Obedience. At the very end of the longest recorded sermon that we have on record of Jesus, Son of God, died for our sins, resurrected from the dead, preached a sermon. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. At the very end of this sermon, most famous sermon in the world, Jesus says, whoever, whoever hears my teaching and then puts it into practice, it's like a man or a woman who built their life on a solid foundation, They're a house, life as a house. And when the storms come and the rains come, the winds, that life stands. The one who hears and applies. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Sometimes I get up in the middle of the night, I gotta use the restroom. I'm not super old, but I'm, What's the opposite of super? I don't know. I'm sorta, sorta old. 46 this summer. It's young. I'm good. I'm fine. But several years ago, it was really dark. And, you know, it was the middle of the night. And I thought I knew where I was, right? And uh, I walked right into our wall. <laughs> and I fell down. That was the worst part. And my beloved wife, after she figured out what was going on, she laughed. She laughed a lot. She laughed all the next day. <laughs> oh my goodness. And now when I get up, if it's dark, I use the little flashlight on my phone. You know why? Because it helps me not run into walls. Psalm chapter 119 verse 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It lights up my path so I can see where I'm going. And, you know, just speaking from experience, it's a little humiliating to run into the wall in the middle of the night in, in the same room that you're in every single night. Man, it's, it's way more difficult, way more painful, way more humiliating to trip and fall and stumble in life where it really counts. And God's word promises. It's, it's, it's like a flashlight. It'll light up your path help you see how to step, how to live, how to go. Here's the last fill in the blanks. It takes courage to pick up a Bible. I like that because just like, just having it, right, is, is, is a start. Just like years ago, someone had mentioned like they had their, their Bible by their, their bed, like by their bed stand, right, right next to their bed. And it was just like, just, it's just there, right? That was the first step. And then when it, you know, after a while, when he needed it, it was there. So he started reading it. And I'm like, I'm gonna put my Bible next to my bedstand. So I have a dedicated Bible next to the bedstand. I mean, there's no flashlight hooked into it, but there, there's an idea for any of you entrepreneurs, right? An actual literal flashlight Bible. Um, hit me up. We'll, we'll make money together. No, I'm just kidding. Lord. Last feeling, it takes courage to stand against the devil. It takes courage to live a kingdom life. God's word will inspire 
confidence for you to move forward in God's way. The word encourage, it literally means to put in courage. To, to put courage in there. So the way I want to end is I want to, I want to teach you a, a breathing prayer. Breathing prayers are just, you know, the way I do them is they're two phrases. They're one I say in my mind. I can't really say them out loud because you want to breathe, right? You want to take a, a deep breath. When I, when I inhale, I say whatever the first phrase is. And then as I exhale, I say that second part. And then I do that again and again. And I want to, I want to do this one with you if, if you'd like. And so just to, just, to, just to show you, here's what it is. On the inhale, it's, Lord Jesus, I trust you. And on the exhale, it's strengthen me for the good I must do. And I work to, to not hurry these. You know, it's just a... Lord Jesus, I trust you. Strengthen me for the good I must do. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of give you one of these and you take a deep breath in. I'll say the first part of the prayer and then I'll do something like this. You breathe out. I'll say the second part. We'll do it a couple times and, and then I'll, I'll pray personally and, and we'll close. You ready? Lord Jesus, I trust you. Strengthen me for the good I must do. Ready? Breathe in. Lord Jesus, I trust you. Breathe out. Strengthen me for the good I must do. He has a lot of good. He has designated good for you. For you in your life and for you to offer the world. But it takes courage. It takes courage. There'll be pushback. To live a kingdom life, there will be pushback. There will be disregard. You know, people that will condescend. And so it takes courage. But it also takes some, some good conviction. Some, some good encourage. God's word will do this. I'm gonna ask you to stand wherever you're at. I wanna pray over you. And if you're here and you wanna take your next step of faith, whatever that is, maybe it's questions, maybe you just wanna pray, have someone pray with you. You've never been baptized, you wanna talk about that? I've got some friends right over here um, that would love to, to pray with you, talk to you about those next steps. So after I pray, you're you're invited to do that. But let me pray over, over you and just over God's word. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your, your mad love for us, for your death on the cross, for your life that was lived so that we could follow. Thank you for your spirit that, that breathes into us, spiritual life that gives us courage, that shows us the way of God. And Lord, thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for the power that is there, literally at our, at our fingertips. 
to hear, to read, to listen to, to memorize, to think about, to study, and to give away. Father God, I pray for courage in this place for my friends and more than anyone for for me. Lord, encourage us that we might live well, that we might live in truth and that our gentleness would be evident to all and that, Lord, we'd do it all to please you. But of course, it's our prayer that the watching world, our neighbors, our family, our friends, coworkers, Lord, that they, that they would see men and women of God, honest, broken, but with courage and gentleness. Lord, I thank you for loving us, for seeing us, for meeting us right where we're at. I pray for my friends as they leave this place, God, that you would that you would watch over them, that you would bless them and keep them, that your favor would shine upon them and that you would give them peace. I pray all in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, thanks for being here tonight. Love you all. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the SYA podcast. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram at wearesya.com.